1: Afternoon tea with host Sammy Sage.
2: Is that what you're saying? Please proceed,
3: Governor.
1: Presented by the Betches Sup Podcast.
3: Better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down.
1: Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi,
3: that's what I've been doing my whole life.
1: And now, with this week's guest. Well, there were three of us
0: in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded.
1: Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session, brought to you by The Betches Sup. Today's guest is Marissa Cavis, activist, writer, and co-founder and editorial director of Crush 2020. Her work has appeared in The Washington Post, The New Republic, and Rolling Stone, among other publications. Marissa is here to tell us about her recent brush with America's deeply flawed healthcare system, and we also debrief on what it's like to be a progressive Jew in America at this particular moment. With that, let's get the tea from Marissa. Hi, Marissa. Welcome back. I'm thrilled to be talking to you.
0: So happy to be back. It's been too long. <laughs> I
1: know. A whole presidential election that lasted a week later.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know,
1: we did it. We did it, Joe. Um, Okay, so originally I wanted to have you on... To talk about um, recent experience you had had with neurosurgery. So, first of all, how are, how are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling pretty good. Thank you. Um, it's almost three months since my surgery, which is crazy. Um, a month and a half ago, I didn't think I, I'd be where I am now. So, just feeling pretty grateful for, for progress.
1: I'm really, I really am very happy for you. You seem, you know, in good spirits and I'm sure it's definitely a challenge and a lot of ups and downs, but you know, it, I'm, I'm glad to see you're, you're recovering.
0: I'm glad to see you too. I, yeah. <laughs> my vision was actually all messed up for my surgery. So one of the most promising things is that it's coming back online and, um, it's, it's almost there. It's not fully healed, but that was probably the scariest after effect of it. Um, and now that's almost fixed, so it's been a uh, hard being patient.
1: Yeah, that is. I mean, something we I'm sure take for granted. Just something like simple. It's the ability to see. Yeah. Um, but originally, I wanted to talk to you um, because you had posted about you'd posted your hospital invoice, and it sort of inspired me to want to have a conversation with you. We know each other obviously prior to this, um, and. I wanted to talk to you about like the experience with the healthcare system, what happens when you have just like an unexpected um, incident or condition and like how you navigated that. Um, So yeah, I want to hear a little bit about, about that, but then just because of the timing of us talking and the week that it has been with everything going on in the Middle East, I would love to just chat about that after, but first I do kind of want to give this a little bit of space. Sure. Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, So being um, a patient, being a a medical patient is sort of like learning a new language. Um, It's there's so many different questions that you never thought you had to ask before. And so many parts of the body that you never even knew existed or, or that you had to learn about. And, you, you, my, a good friend of mine often says, like, you need to get a PhD in your own condition in order to treat it properly. And so that's sort of how it's been for me. Um, I was first diagnosed with uh, this condition called acromegaly. It's an endocrine disorder um, three years ago. And I was only able to get that diagnosis because I got health insurance through my job at the time. Prior to that, I had a feeling that something was wrong, but I wasn't able to get the MRIs necessary to see it. Um, So, when I switched from a contractor to full time at my job, I was able to have the proper health insurance, really good coverage, and get all the tests I needed. But even with every possible advantage that you could have as an American with healthcare, um, which most people do not have, it's still been a really tough road, and finding the right doctors is is really hard. Um, it's it's like a needle in a haystack, and I just I feel grateful that I finally found them. But it's it's been three years of searching.
1: Wow. I mean, and that is why we need Medicare for all because it's ridiculous that like you happening to have a full time employment um, is the determinant of whether or not you'll get treatment. It just it just the, the employer based healthcare system makes no sense whatsoever. Like, why is it the employer's problem? Right, like
0: <laughs> your health. like you know what
1: I mean. <laughs> like, even for me, I'm like, I'm like, what does this have to do with employment? I mean, it's I see it as a benefit, but like the way that formed is was to like incentivize people to work for you, not to like become the the only
0: way you can get it. Right, not to be trapped. <laughs> right,
1: right. It's really it's really wild. And, you know, they'll charge you for anything in a hospital. So yeah, I mean, your, and your bill was evidence. It of was that.
0: crazy. So I got the bill for my surgery and a follow up procedure. And it was $475,000. Wow. And That's... <laughs> you wonder how can you get to, to that much money? Like what, what were the costs? And so there was an itemized bill and it was like, $30,000 for miscellaneous hospital supplies. It's like, I, like didn't, I didn't use that much cost. Like <laughs>
1: Right. Right. Like, is, does everyone get that charge? Does everyone get miscellaneous
0: 30K? Yeah, there's a
2: lot like, of... Hidden- in what
0: world can you just fucking charge 30K for unspecified things? I mean, they literally just make it up and jack up the price for the insurance company. The hospital does. Right. They give it to the insurance company. The insurance company says, okay, we'll cover most of it. But we're gonna send you a bill for six hundred and sixty dollars. And in you know, compared right. to four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, <laughs> like sure I got out pretty pretty lucky, but I have cobra insurance through my old employer and I pay over a thousand dollars a month for my coverage. So what's another right. why do I owe another six hundred and
1: sixty dollars? Right. It almost just highlights the stupidity of the whole thing. It's a game. To see
0: that it's, right, it's not real. right. It's a game.
1: It's a circle jerk of just a few people trying to get rich
0: and monopoly money, like making yeah fake values. It's a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a Ponzi scheme. It is like, it is a legitimized Ponzi scheme, Absolutely. but um, hope that doesn't make anyone not. To. Well, what was just, I want to know what was other than the miscellaneous 30, 30 K, which is like catering for a wedding. Um, <laughs> that's the, that's the language I <laughs> hear it in. Um, Like, what was the craziest thing that they charged you for that was, like, really high-priced?
0: The craziest thing they charged me for was the post-surgical anesthesia recovery room. So it's just, like, an area. It's not even a room with a door. It's an area with a curtain. And they charged, I want to say something like $70,000. Uh,
1: do you have an option to not go there? No.
0: No. You're, you're <laughs> asleep. They wheel you in there, and they're, like... Here you are. What if
1: I'm like beforehand, I'm like, I do not consent to the 70,000 post-op post post recovery curtain dressing room. Just take me
0: straight to my room. It's fine. I don't need a special waiting area. Yeah, I didn't stay there overnight. I was there for a couple hours and then went to my actual hospital room.
1: What is that, like for monitoring?
0: Yeah, yeah. So as you wake up from the anesthesia, because I was uh, under for nine hours in my surgery. Wow. That's a whole lot of anesthesia.
1: (laughs) So because you are under for so long, you needed this, like, special observation, and they charge you $70,000 to be in a certain area where they could look at you. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing.
0: Pretty
1: much. All right. I mean, it sort of reminds me of, like, how, like, when mothers give birth and they get charged for, like, skin-to-skin contact with their own baby. It's like, what else were you going to do with the baby? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Don't touch the baby. Just just leave it over like, there. I'm... Like, the, is it... You're charging me for my to 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 provide healthcare yes. for my baby. <laughs> you should you're get paid for that. <laughs> right. You're you're literally not dealing with the baby. I'm dealing with the baby. You're providing a service. <laughs> How can you charge me for that?
3: Hey American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like, what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Well, now that we've dealt
1: with the absurdity of the healthcare system, we're going to tackle another one of the biggest issues around, really, talking about what is going on in Israel and Gaza. And I think it is so opportune that I'm speaking to you because you had just had this thread go viral, which obviously resonated with so many progressive American Jews. And then Bella Hadid reposted you, which is like, you know, controversial in some circles, but also undeniably very a very big deal. Just for the sake of the audience, like, introduce where you're coming from on this. And, you know, kind of the essence of your thread and kind of your feelings about what is going on.
0: Sure. For the longest time, I didn't have the words for what I was feeling in regards to Israel's relationship to Palestine and what has gone on there in the past and what continues to go on. And then this latest conflict um, arose and I was just so hung up on it. I couldn't get it out of my head, but I also just couldn't, I couldn't figure out exactly what I was trying to say. I typed a million things and deleted them because it's so fraught. And anything you say is just fodder for any, anyone, no matter what, what side of the argument you're falling on. So you have to be really, really careful. Um, So it kind of just came to me the other day, finally, which um, the thrust of it being that being an American Jew is really confusing. And we're kind of given such mixed messages because we're raised on the story of the Holocaust. We're told what it was like to survive oppressors throughout our history. And then we come to this point where By all accounts, we are the oppressors in this situation in Palestine. And it's hard to square that um, with our history. And so it's just, I've just been so beside myself about the, the violence that's being inflicted in our name. Because whether we like it or not, American Jews are conflated with Zionists and Israelis. They think, you know, if you're Jewish, you automatically have this connection to Israel. And it's not something that I really questioned too much before, but I'm finally feeling secure enough in my own point of view to to vocalize these, you know, new perspectives I'm having.
1: Definitely. I mean, the one thing, you know, it is really amazing that you have found it in yourself to speak out because I will say, like, I've also been just churning it over in my mind for two weeks straight, like constantly essentially um and having conversations with my jewish friends like who lie at different different places on the spectrum of their experience and their opinion and their knowledge and it is like the one thing that's in common with everybody is that they are afraid to say anything yes not just because of like the internet climate but because they feel like They are either like betraying their family or they might be betraying their ideals in certain ways um, because they don't agree with what Israel is doing. Yeah,
0: I was terrified. I was terrified to post about it. And because I wanted to make sure that it was I was really saying what I meant. And like you said, like part of the thread was that um, people who say stuff like me are called anti-Semitic and we're called traitors. Um, And it's really hard to, to walk this line. And so as when I put it out there, I was so scared. But then as the responses started rolling in, I mean, I was expecting to get hate mail and get really aggressive messages. And there were only a couple, like most of them were really overwhelmingly supportive. And so many Jews saying, this is exactly how I feel. I couldn't find the words and I'm too afraid to say it. And it's, it makes me sad that so many people are afraid.
1: Yeah. I mean, it also is like, I, I will say like a common, you know, thread that I hear is that they're afraid of on some side, like saying that they don't agree with what Israel's doing to, to any degree. Um, I would say, you know, there's different degrees. I think that people feel that, um, But they also are seeing from their, like, let's say, maybe more Jewishly concerned friends, like these new uh, growing anti-Semitism and um, just more talk of that. And then you do see how some posts on online are anti-Semitic or deploy like heavily anti-Semitic tropes. And you're like, okay well, maybe I shouldn't contribute to it. Um, and that is kind of like where I find most where I find just a really prominent uh, way people feel about it. So do you like where do you how do you feel about that like whole anti, you know, the the hot rod that is anti-Semitism?
0: It, the uptick in anti-Semitic hate crimes in America especially has been so hard to watch and. It's deeply emotional and I fear for um, my family, some of whom are like visibly religious, Orthodox Jews. Um, But I think what we're seeing here is that so many issues end up becoming a binary. And especially with the internet and debating about things online, it's like you're either with us or you're against us. But actually most situations have many sides. And this one is definitely one of those situations and so it's really comforting to finally see some nuance um, entering the mainstream conversation about it and I think it's also like different voices are being elevated and I mean you know on MSNBC alone there are two Muslim anchors right now and they have been really elevating the conversation and you're hearing things that you never heard before about the conflict and it's just it's hard to hear because I grew up believing in the infallibility of Israel, and to finally see that sort of broken down a little bit, it's it's taking a lot of unlearning. Um, but I think that you can see the situation clearly and still believe that Israel should exist, believe that there should be a safe homeland for Jews, um, and that Jews should be safe everywhere. Um, and, that the reason Israel was created is because they weren't safe everywhere. So it's sort of like this reinforcing thing. But yeah, I mean, I've heard that for sure. Like it's anti-Semitic if you're not with Israel, but um, I I disagree.
1: Right. Yeah, completely. I think there's, again, on on every side, there's degrees of that. And I think sometimes people don't even realize that what they may be saying can read as anti-Semitism to a Jewish person. And, you know, again, it there is learning in, that's required there. Um, but something that you said about, you know, this not being binary, I think that, that that is something that is unique to this round of conflict is that social media has made everyone see everything as binary. And you're on this side or you're on that side. And I think we're being almost confronted with our first instance where, where there is a social media um uproar about it, but that people are forced to grapple with the fact that it's not binary.
0: Yeah, I feel like even though I'm expressing sort of a non binary opinion, I'm still trying to be forced into a corner. And um, I've had a lot of messages from people who are either Palestinian themselves or are just very involved with free Palestine. And, and say, like, reposting my stuff and saying hashtag free Palestine and all these things. And I'm like, you're kind of assigning more meaning to things than, than what I said. Um, and so that's the thing, you kind of lose control of the narrative once you put something out there. Um, so I, I don't necessarily feel comfortable being shoved in that corner. Not that I don't believe that the Palestinians should be free, but there are certain phrases that are just so loaded and make it seem like you are absolutely one, on one side when i'm like no i'm actually trying to describe something totally different
1: <laughs> right i yeah the the jargon i think here is very it really gives away where you've learned about this conflict and i think that it's like um it that can on its own be triggering t- for someone to assume that you, you believe a certain way or you're trying to say a certain thing that maybe you aren't. And I can completely relate to that. But I think something that makes it not binary is that this current arrangement that is happening in the region that we're talking about, that is a result of colonialism itself. And I think that like what people miss because we're so quick to want to assign like an oppressor oppressed narrative to this is that we are actually dealing with two people who are two peoples who are historically oppressed. And the way that this is and we're talking about a very long history and the way that it is now is the direct result of colonialism. And we've literally been trying to fight white supremacy and colonialism like, that, that is kind of like, I think, what motivates a lot of people. Yeah.
0: And I, I think the problem is that we're not taught about it in that context. Um, I was not taught to question where Israel came from, why. I mean, the why was, you know, after the Holocaust, a safe place for Jews. But I, it, as far as I was concerned, it was like a barren piece of land that they sent Jews to to be safe, and they created a civilization there, right? Like I, when I was younger, obviously. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And that
1: sounds familiar. <laughs> and right, desert, and then Tel Aviv. Right.
0: Yeah, we wandered through the desert from Europe, and we got there, and then all these ancient ruins <laughs> Right. Like they
1: skipped like the displacement camps and all the countries that wouldn't let us in, and like. The, like, the whole generation that, that like, existed at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, American and British responsibility and how few people they let in after. And um, we, but I think something I've noticed over the years is that, like, Jews often don't want to be seen as the victims in a story, even if we are. And right.
1: <laughs> um, it's... That's so, that is, like, such an ethos that... Uh, Especially the most like zealous, pious Jews have is like we pick ourselves up regardless.
0: We were yeah, we were never defeated. We were only I don't know in exile because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God wanted
1: because God wanted it that way.
0: Yeah, and our and our hardship is temporary, but we'll always come back to prominence and power. Um, and true. Uh, so I think as in framing Israel as this like triumphant return to the homeland it's framing us as the ones in power when in truth we were persecuted we were almost completely annihilated as a people in in Europe and we survived but just barely and so we were victims coming off a huge trauma and then like you said we were not we personally but you know the colonizers kicked 750,000 Palestinians or so out of their homes and out of their land and didn't have anywhere for them to go. And so if I think if we had grown up understanding that history more, we'd have a lot different perspective instead of feeling like shocked by what we learn as we get older.
2: Right. It's so true. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. Newly is an amazing value at ninety eight dollars a month for any six styles, and right now you can get twenty dollars off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code Fever Dream twenty. Just go to nuul dot That's Newly with two U's, and enter the code Fever Dream twenty and sign up to get twenty dollars off your first month. That's nuul dot com. Newly with two U's with code Fever Dream twenty. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes.
1: as we're talking about the history, and I know that you, you had mentioned like very briefly when we were just kind of chatting that you you have a different take on this. So I'm curious to hear what your take is on this. Is that one thing that I've seen people say is that this is not a religious conflict. And I see people say that and I don't quite understand that argument. And the reason is because, and you can attest that this is true, I feel like I've been pretty up close with some of the people in Israel even, who are driving what is currently happening from the right-wing government. And the reason I do feel that it that it is a religious conflict, that is like the one thing in this whole dynamic I do feel 100% certain about, it's because I do feel like I've been up close with people who agree with what the right-wing Netanyahu government is doing and what the settlers are doing. And the reason they are so certain – about the fact that this is their land and that this is like what they're supposed to be doing is because of their religion they they believe that god and and Judaism are like one with the land and so they don't think that they're colonizing also they would say like we were here first yeah, taking back
0: (laughs) what was ours (laughs) right right
1: right so that so that's like the the one thing i cannot square like when the people who are most fervent about it who are really driving what the policy is right now do see it as like god-given land and a religious conflict like i don't understand really how it could be perceived another way
0: so a couple things i think for netanyahu at least in his government it's all about power for him. I mean, it, religion and making it a holy war is sort of a, a, an easy way to sell it to people. I think it's sort of part of his marketing
1: for his coalition. Yeah,
0: he, that's how he markets it. which He needs. Um, but it's really just like any other human conflict. It's a quest for power. It's trying to assert dominance. And not to mention that the people in these regions aren't entirely Jewish and Muslim. Like there are many Arabs in Israel. There are many Christians in Palestine, which is why it's so interesting that the the, uh, American religious right um, Christians are so pro-Israel and anti-Palestine because there are many religious Christians living there. Um, And so I see it as more of a humanitarian conflict than a religious conflict because all sorts of people are affected and I think in some ways for at least people who are really supportive of Israel's actions, saying it's like a religious war is a way to absolve them of some blame and saying you know, this is a, a fight of biblical p- proportions where it's actually just it's a fight about land and it's a fight about power.
1: You know, I do, I do actually really see what you're saying there. When I say it's a religious conflict, I'm referring to like the whole thing, Mm -hmm. not like what's just happening like now or even in the past few decades. So I definitely see like from that perspective, what is currently going on. I see it in the sense of like, you know, how politicians in America cynically will use Christianity to take away abortion rights. Like I see, I see that how you can have that view completely. Yeah, no, I completely understand that because it is a very effective messaging. Um, But then when I do look at like the whole history, I'm like, okay, well, like this started because of because of religion.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I mean, I think that um, I see other Jews saying that this is happening because the Hamas wants to wipe out the Jewish people and, um, that, which it does say in their charter, of course, absolutely. Um, there are no arguments there, but I think Hamas can be evil and have bad intentions and Israel can be wrong at the same time. And this goes back to things not being binary, that there can, you can hold multiple truths at once. Um, and I think people have a lot of trouble doing that, but I, I see a lot of Jews, um, saying that, you know, they're, they're trying to kill Jews, but then I'm looking at it from the other perspective. We're killing people. I'm not concerned they're killing Muslims or, or Christians. They're, they're killing human beings. And so that's how, where the dissonance comes in for me.
1: Right. And I'll be honest, like, that's where I struggle with having this conversation with certain people like who would take a more pro-Israeli side because they in my experience are so certain like this is Hamas's fault. Like Israel is protecting its people from Hamas who who in their charter wants to destroy us. Like there's a number of arguments and I do see like, you know, okay, I see where you're coming from there. If you're, you know, an Israeli who is hiding in a bunker who has fought in the IDF. Like I get that. But um On some level, I feel like almost when, like, Israel comes up as a topic, like, the empathy chip just, like, almost, like, wipes for some people. And, like, I just want to be like, well, what if they did it to you? Like, just on that basic level, not saying that, like, Hamas is good, but, like, what if you were just a regular Palestinian civilian and somebody did this to you?
0: It's like, 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 why is that
1: hard to get past? And then
0: also, why is it even necessary to present that, that argument? I mean, you should just on a basic human level. Clearly that
1: one doesn't even work either. right?
0: So I don't, I'm, I'm not convinced that you can convince you being your, the universal you can convince people to care about something. I, I think that if you're raised with this really certain point of view and it's reinforced by the people who are around you and the publications you read and the media you consume, you're going to believe that you're right. But to your point, I personally cannot understand the instinct to see human devastation happening. And your instinct is to be like, well, actually here's, you know, here's an explanation for why that's happening. Like there's no, but there's no, But like, you need to step back.
1: Well, what they would share is like, here are Israeli soldiers delivering aid to the Palestinians. But it's like, okay, but their entire infrastructure is destroyed. So, yeah. Yeah. Like,
0: it's, it's, (laughs) and you can't be the the problem and the solution. And they'd (laughs) be
1: like, well, Hamas, they'd be like, well, Hamas is, doesn't care about their infrastructure because they use all their money for rockets and tunnels. And be like, okay, well, we, uh, like, to that, I'm like, yeah, so the people are still, you know. collateral damage. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, I do see, like, the humanitarian element um, is another angle that I think gets not necessarily fully considered on all sides.
0: Well, I guess, to me, it's like, even if you struck this row of homes and... The west bank or in gaza rather because you thought maybe there was a hamas tunnel under there you still just killed like houses full of people so can you please show some remorse for that recognize that they were individual human beings there was one family that lost 14 just like you yeah i mean right it's not hard it's not that hard to to believe in a certain overarching narrative but also just be honest about the facts on the ground.
1: Right I think that that's what what I find so frustrating there's not really a lot of room to to do that
0: right if you if you're sympathizing with the Palestinians at all you are anti-Semitic and you hate Israel and think it shouldn't exist. <laughs>
1: yeah, kind of um, yeah we've,
0: we've both been made to feel that way.
1: <laughs> Cut, yeah, a little bit. It's challenging. I will say this is very, very challenging. The last thing I kind of want to talk about is, like, the face of American Jewry, essentially. I do feel like it is very different than it was when we were children, partly because of the conflicts that have taken place in our lifetimes. So, yeah, I would love to just kind of, like, hear your take on what do you think that that is going to be evolving into,
3: It
0: already seems to be evolving, even since the last big conflict in 2014. I personally have evolved since then. So if I have, I can't imagine I'm the only one. Um, My domestic politics have changed as well, or not changed, but they've shifted to be more progressive. And so that has sort of reframed how I look at what's happening in Israel and Palestine. Um, I think that our generation is able to kind of take its own independent stance on it because we're a bit more removed from the Holocaust. You know, my, our parents were raised by either survivors or American Jews were alive at the time and were deeply scarred by that experience. And I completely understand why they would be Zionist. I understand having lived through that and just desperately wanting a safe place. But now we're a couple of generations removed from that and the world is changing around us and we're so connected to other places via social media. It's like we're kind of experiencing history along with other people and it's much harder to look away. You know, it's not a matter of putting down the newspaper or turning off the TV. It's right. it's disconnecting entirely from everything in order to not feel those feelings. Um, right. So I think that there's this emotional component um, as one uh, one pro-Israel Democrat told Politico today, uh, they've lost the emotional war, they, the, the emotional argument of this conflict. And I agree. Totally. Because yeah, I mean, we're overwhelmed. The AP,
1: <laughs> yeah. Also, like bombing the AP building was just like a bad look at a time when people are so um, focused on like – Put, shutting down journalists like there just it, there were just some big missteps like even from like an image standpoint i think that did not that were just wrong and do you at all worry and i'm asking this because i've had people genuinely worry in conversations with me do you believe there is like any threat to israel as like a sovereign country
0: I think as long as they have the full backing of the United States, there isn't, Um, which is why it's so precarious for the U.S. to weigh in right now. And the fact that there is so much domestic pressure for the Biden administration and Congress to halt weapons sales to Israel to make some sort of statement that we won't accept this kind of action. Um, But I, I think that unless something really drastic changes it They'll be OK. And I think that they need to be able to withstand criticism and think about their their role in the world and their role in the region. And, and if they want support, they need to stop committing war crimes.
1: It's almost like if they would if Israel would submit to like a, some degree of criticism and self-reflection, then like it would go a really long way.
0: Yes. Yeah, so just give they won't give an inch. And supporters of Israel won't give an inch because they see that as admitting some sort of defeat. And from my perspective, that's just being human and and wanting to be on the right side of history and wanting you know, I a thing I I think I hear a lot from family in Israel and people who are pro-Israel is that Palestinian kids are taught to hate Israelis. Um, and so, you know, what are we supposed to do about it? That's what they learn. Well, do you think destroying their home and killing their family is going to make them like you?
1: <laughs> well, my other my other answer to that is like, well, what do you teach your kids? Right. Yeah. Like, like, like that, that's what's so that again that that it goes back to like the empathy chip. Like, there's this challenge that that there seems to be with ha- with putting oneself in the other shoes, and. It's been a, a rough, a rough time, I'll be honest.
0: Yeah. I know, I know. I mean, we've, we've connected about it a lot. And I think we, because we both have very personal stakes in this conversation. And um, I think what I worry about a lot is, and what I worried about in, in being so vocal about this is that my family in Israel would ever think that I don't worry about them all the time and that I don't fear for their safety and that. I don't value the lives of their neighbors because of course I do. I want everyone to be safe. But the fact of the matter is when you look at what's happening, the devastation is completely lopsided. The, the military force is completely lopsided and it's not a fair fight. And so um, I just, like you said, I wish there could be just a little bit of um, self-awareness about how this seems to people outside of the country.
1: Right. I mean, that's exactly I feel the exact same way. Like I like that that's what ultimately makes it hard for me to really explore this aloud all the time is that I do fear for my own family's safety and I do feel for them. And I understand that it is hard to have empathy when rockets are being shot at you by the people you're being asked to have empathy for. Like, I do understand that. But it is also hard to even have a conversation for that same reason and to be like okay well you know can we just talk about it like without it being like oh I actually don't care about you and the only form of caring can be completely agreeing with like your full suite of views yes
0: oh exactly so I think this fear of conflict and awkwardness with your family can preclude you from speaking out I know that's something that I've gone through recently, but um, that shouldn't keep you from defending the rights of other people with families and people whose families are being destroyed. Everyone has a family, all of us are human beings. And so um, yeah, holiday dinner might be a little bit awkward, but um, it's a small price to pay if it helps us reach a better place as humanitarians.
1: You know, thank you Marissa so much. This has been such I f- feel a, a really helpful conversation. I hope that it is helpful for our listeners um and you know any American Jews out there who may be feeling similarly or don't have to be an American Jew just someone who wants to hear a pers- hear another perspective. Um so thank you so much Marissa. Tell everyone where they can find you your amazing
0: threads. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter, always on Twitter, (laughs) Um, at M-A-R-I-S-A-K-A-B-A-S. And I also got a lot of Instagram followers recently, but I can't really offer you that much there.
1: (laughs) You have some nice, like, Brooklyn scenery that you can offer. That's a lot to offer, in my opinion. Yes, if you like nice
0: Brooklyn scenery and vaccine selfies, then I'm your gal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, can't hurt, can't hurt. All right, thank you so much, Marissa, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks, you too. Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales Pico. Our editor is Stacy Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails to suppod at betches.com. Duchess